1: Tune in to Oilers Nation every day with Tyler Uramchuk. Live every weekday on the Nation Network YouTube.
0: Are the Oilers reverse retro jerseys cursed? I think the question needs to be asked at this point. Edmonton falls to the LA Kings. McDavid falls because of Alex Edler. Frank Saravalli is going to stop by as well to talk about some potential D targets for the Edmonton Oilers. It is a loaded up edition of Oilers Nation every day from the Sports Closet Studio. So let's get things rolling with the lead. Dun-dun. The Oilers fall 3-1 to Trevor Moore in the LA Kings. It was a hat trick. For Trevor Moore as he put the third one into the empty net. One thing I noticed at the game last night is there was a Kings fan after that empty netter waving Oilers fans goodbye as they headed towards the exit. I think he may have forgot how game seven last year maybe played out. Anyways, Edmonton Falls 3-1. There is a lot to get to with this hockey game. We're gonna dig into the home defeat. We're gonna frolic around with Frank Saravaldi a little bit later on, but the big story on Twitter, everywhere is the Alex Edler hit on Connor McDavid. Edler steps up in the neutral zone. You could argue about whether or not he moves his body position. He clips Connor McDavid. The Oilers captain goes down. Darnell Nurse says, I'm going to do something about it. He wants to drop the gloves with Edler. Edler doesn't really oblige. The linesmen jump in really quick. The result, Edler gets two for kneeing. He gets two for roughing. Darnell Nurse is given four minutes for roughing. Didn't make a ton of sense to me. But anyways, the Oilers don't get a power play on that play. Alex Edler, we find out today, is going to avoid supplemental discipline. I think we have a couple of clips ready to go of the hits, or we'll have them in just a second. But it's worth noting Alex Edler has done this in the past. If you watched the broadcast, you heard Zach Hyman come out and talk about how Edler did the exact same play to him. Got a two-game suspension for it. Zach Hyman missed two months. That is pretty telling, and considering that that hit happened not all that long ago, and I know the repeat offender thing doesn't actually play into NHL suspensions, it's about dollars lost and all of that kind of stuff, but Edler has a history of doing this. He's been suspended before for almost the identical hit, and yet the NHL looks at this one, a play on the league's best most electric player, shrugs and goes, meh nothing too bad going on there it's crazy i we're gonna play them here in 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 a little bit but i want to get caught up on what you're all saying in the chat here because it is a uh, busy busy youtube chat if you're watching on facebook or if you're watching on the oilers nation twitter as well head over to the youtube hit the like button hit the subscribe button that's where we read the chat so if you want to have your take heard you can drop it in there rusty Rusty, I knew this was going to be your take because you're a passionate Oilers fan. You said, tough loss, officiating was a clown show. How do you give Nurse a double minor for standing up for a teammate? The amount of hacking and holding that was allowed is atrocious. I thought, you know, you got to give some credit to LA. They did a great job jamming up the middle of the ice. They got away with a lot, but they did play well. Rusty says, Edler needs to be suspended for several games. He has a history of dirty hits and plays. So here's the slow motion look on this hit. You can see, like, McDavid is engaged with another player. He's got nowhere to go, so he tries to jump between the two. Edler ends up clipping him with the knee. I think it's hard to argue that Edler didn't know what he was doing. There's a reverse angle that I see Alex, our producers, loading up. So we'll show that to you in a second. And Frank Servali, we're going to get his take on this a little bit later as well. Um, The reverse angle kind of shows Edler does stay mainly in, in his lane as you're going to see here, but I would argue right there, right at the last second, there's a slight movement towards the middle of the ice, in my opinion. And that's, for me, why I think this could have been suspendable. He wants to make contact with McDavid, and when you're going to make contact with a player, you need to do it in a legal way. Otherwise, don't make contact with a player. I I thought the hit was maybe not all the way dirty, It's a split-second decision. I think Edler wants to make sure McDavid's not going past him. I don't think in the moment he's going, I'm just going to knee this guy and hurt him. I don't think so. But I also think you need to be responsible for what you do. And Edler is not being held responsible. Another element of this is that it was a nationally televised game in the U.S. And I, I, I said this yesterday, and Liam, we can bring you in on this as well. Skilled players get dragged down consistently in the NHL that they seem fine with it. Gary Bettman, when he was asked last year if if that's something that they want to change and if the league is an officiating problem, he said, no, absolutely not. So they don't seem to want to change it. They're okay with fifth, sixth defensemen having a little bit more leeway in order to even the playing field. And I don't get it, Liam.
2: I don't get it either. Like, I don't know why the NHL sees it this way. You have the best player in the world, one of the best players this league has ever seen getting taken out on a dirty play. And that could have honestly been a lot, lot worse than what it was. Thankfully, McDavid yeah. was able to continue to play, but you look back at other ones, like, like you said, Hyman was out for two months. We have some yeah. a John Scott clip later on where he references another star player that, that was a, a pretty much ended his career and you know you look yeah. at other leagues like the nba like they have this thing always like superstar calls and people criticize it but also there's a reason that league thrives with its stars and the nhl just simply does not and it starts with the league not wanting to protect its best players like it's it's quite frankly unbelievable that Edler got away with this for only yeah. what do you get a two minute penalty like it's ridiculous
0: Alex, uh, I want to play the John Scott clip. You give me a thumbs up uh, when we have that available to run. Um, Because John Scott on the Drop in the Gloves podcast, part of our network, and again, I I totally understand if people are going to hear my take on it and be like, oh, Homer, like you're in Edmonton, you watch every Oilers game, you work for Oilers Nation, of course you're going to have that take. John Scott's usually the exact opposite when it comes to the Oilers. He's usually the last one to give the team any credit. And as a former player, I thought, his take on it this morning on his pod was interesting. Um again, we'll bring that to you in just a second here. We'll get caught up on the chat. In the, Oh, we're good. Okay, let's play it. Let's Here's John Scott on dropping the gloves on the hit.
1: As an NHL player, Alex edder has been in the league for over 10 years. He knows how fast the game is. He knows when he puts himself in a bad situation. He has done this many times before. He he should get 5 games for this it's a dangerous hit you could end someone's career you could tear acl lcl meniscus everything blow the whole knee out hyman he put him out for two months could have been a lot worse when you're going at somebody and you throw your knee at to them it's even just to extend your leg because you know you're going to get beat it's it's bad i know what happens fast and i know it's people say it's a knee jerk reaction and you, you can't control it you can control it you skate every single day alex edler You've been in the NHL for over 10 years. You know what you're doing. You've done that exact same play in the exact same position of the ice. It's it's a bad hit. It's a really bad hit. It could have ended. It could have potentially ruined the career of Connor McDavid. If he gets gets him the right way, his game is speed. If he hits him and he has to get a complete knee replacement, not replacement, just scope everything, LCL, MCL, everything, he's not the same player. Bobby Orr. I'm not comparing the two but Bobby had his career ended by a need a need. Oh, wasn't the same player. So, I don't. Know. So, Orhead. got me thinking.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I I don't I don't think McDavid was going fast enough and again, we've watched in slow motion so many times that maybe my perception of it is all wonky, but anyways, that was John Scott's take on the whole thing, heading into the YouTube chat quickly here before we get to frank saravalli not exactly surprised to see how the oilers nation chat is taking the hit um but a lot of people saying you know did the oilers maybe miss a zach cassian kind of element last night darnell nurse steps in and tries to go after him but after that Connor mcdavid kind of took it into his own hands i guess with the cross check that he was eventually called for and then resulted in the king scoring the game winning goal so maybe you could say hey going after edler isn't the right move at all there but a lot of you wondering do the oilers maybe Especially with Evander Kane out of the lineup, I think you could say. Do they miss a little bit of that jam, a little bit of that, you know, protect the star element in this lineup? Squishy says Cassian would have went in, win or lose. Rusty talks about, yeah, Cassian maybe. McKay says the double-miner to Nurse was BS. I didn't love it, but again, like if they would have dropped the gloves, I would imagine Nurse would have just gotten an instigator and the penalties would have washed out anyways, and maybe that's what the officials were thinking there, to, to kind of look at the other side of that thing. Um, but interesting to hear John Scott's take on it as well. There is a lot I want to get to today on the show. I want to break down the game last night a little bit more in depth. I really want to talk about Evan Bouchard because I looked into some of the numbers with Evan Bouchard. I want to talk about that Jan-Mark-Klim duo as well. I want to get your take on seeing the reverse retros in person, but well, it's not Wednesday. It's Thursday. Frank Saravalli was traveling yesterday, but he carved out some time for us today, so let's get to frolicking with Frank Saravalli. i think we got a little smirk out of frank i was watching him in the bottom as we teed him up frolicking with frank Saravali, not bad
3: i mean i like it but i i mean do you seem like I, i'm not doing any frolicking anywhere so i don't think They're it not. necessarily fits just like
0: my show. Uh, you, you were in and you heard what john scott had to say about the alex edler hit on connor mcdavid we now know edler not getting any supplemental discipline uh what do you make of this whole thing and and do you maybe do you know why no supplemental discipline? Like, was there any sort of explanation from the league? Um, no, I didn't get an explanation.
3: I just asked the simple question, is anything happening? And the answer was no. Um, I I had gave my take earlier today on Daily Face Off Live. I think what clinched it for me is the angle that Edler goes into the play. And I don't know if Alex has that teed up from the earlier show or not. But um, when you – look at it from that perspective tnt had the shot and here it is edler doesn't change his posture at all he doesn't stick his leg out any further um i think it's a really unfortunate and accidental play and i i get all the things that you're saying and john scott is saying and i've seen the reactions you know from oilers nation everywhere and i i I get where the anger is because it is connor mcdavid and because They think that Alex Edler has done this many times previously, not just Zach Hyman, but also going back to the world championships. And and he's done it before and he loses the benefit of the doubt. And I, I agree with that part of it, but I just don't see it on this particular hit. And I honestly just don't know that there was enough space. Usually what happens is you stick that leg out when you're in a spot where this guy is clearly going to blow by you. And it just, I don't, I don't see it here. I I think it's ugly. Um, I think it's unfortunate, but I don't think that this is suspendable. And I, I don't even think he was necessarily trying to get him with the knee.
0: Yeah. And a lot of people are saying, you know, it's the same hit as what he did on Hyman and he got two games for it. The one difference I would point out if I, if I could make a defense for why this isn't suspendable, I agree with you. Like he doesn't really jump over all that much. And I think it's too hard to, to, to really make a case for that. But the other Kings player is kind of forcing McDavid in, right? Like, if that other Kings player isn't there, McDavid's may be able to actually fully jump around the check. Versus on the Hyman one from a couple of years ago, there was no player there. Hyman was like full on leaping around him for the most part, and Edler so, still managed to get him with the knee. So,
3: to, to your point, like if if you watch it again from that back angle with the pressure that's coming from the the other Kings player, even if Mc McDa- even if um, Edler isn't in such a wide stance the way mcdavid is trying to squeeze his way through that gap he's probably his knee is probably at risk anyway that it was just it, that type of pressure and play that it, it's you don't ever want to
0: see that i'm sure you can look imagine how awkward how that shot. is like look at him stretching
3: yeah. one leg around it like you could go around and around in circles i i personally think the league is getting this right and I I mean, I'm not carrying anyone's water, coming in totally unbiased, looking at it from a 30,000 foot view and treating this same play as if any player in the league was doing it, not just Connor McDavid.
0: Um, you can imagine now our chat's taking it, but we'll put this topic to rest. Um, Lance, I'll give Lance the final word anyone does anything to mcdavid they're a bad man change my mind yeah sure lance i that's that's the exact take i would expect our chat to have uh you have a piece up on dailyfaceoff.com about some potential demon that the toronto maple Leafs could target uh you mentioned john Klingberg, vlad gavrikov uh matt roy who we saw last night for the la kings carson susi and the duo of nick jensen Dmitry orlov in washington where i want to go with this is um out of, out of those names are there any that maybe fit the bill for what the Oilers could be looking for later in the season?
3: Probably not particularly, and I, I think the Oilers are looking in a totally, honestly, on the long list of, it's, that's unfair, it's not a long list. Of, of the list of Oilers priorities, I would think that adding a defenseman at this exact moment in time, while that may have previously been um, a, a mission or mandate for this team, that it's not. Um, I think it it starts down the middle that they, I think they'd ideally like to add a really strong center. I think the second thing, when you're looking at the bottom six, you mentioned jam, find someone tough to play against, whether it's old school brawn and toughness, um, and not necessarily like, you know, in that style, but also someone that's totally relentless on pucks. Um, that makes your team really difficult to play against. The Oilers in their bottom six have none of that. And if they're not scoring, what are you getting out of that group? That's the big question mark. That's what they've been focused in on. Um, And I would say the longer the Jack Campbell thing goes on, and depending on how Stuart Skinner plays, you could probably even make an argument at a certain point, not that I think they're going to do anything related to it, but that goaltending might be ahead of the list then defenseman for
0: the Oilers that that'd be really interesting if we get to that point uh, bottom Sixers with Jam I was really impressed with Clem Costin last night he laid a couple of big hits he wasn't afraid to get engaged we've dubbed dubbed him Clem Shady that was bag milk's nickname for him uh, so we'll oh, see if Clem if Clem Costin can keep rolling for the Oilers one other forward I wanted to get your insight on Dylan Holloway played a team low eight minutes and six seconds yesterday he basically is a fourth line left winger for the team at the moment I look at this I go First-round pick, you want him to one day be a top-six contributor for you. He's not right now. Is he not better off playing 20-plus minutes a night in Bakersfield? Do you know, Have you heard anything about Holloway? Are they just sort of content with him being a fourth-line winger for them?
3: No, I don't think they are, and I think they're looking for an opportunity to send him down. I think um, when you see a spot where my guess and, and read on the situation, and to be totally candid and transparent, I haven't asked this specific question. Okay. But if you see a spot when Tyler Benson gets healthy, that's when I would imagine that Dylan Holloway's on his way down.
0: Yeah, and we talked with Gregor earlier in the week, and he brought that up. And I'd, I'd been talking about that for a couple weeks, too. Like, it would make sense. Benson, I think, impressed them in camp. He had a really good training camp and preseason. The injury, as it usually is with him, is just what's getting in the way. Um, I also, I want, I want to talk about this because I loved it today on Daily Face Off Live. You have an idea about changes to penalty shots. Take us through kind of like the whole, the whole story angle here with penalty shots and coaches maybe having a choice.
3: Okay, so this is totally my idea, not one endorsed by the NHL or their officiating department, but I wanted to throw it out there anyway, just for debate and discussion. One of the things that they talked about in the GM meeting on Tuesday in Toronto was the idea of penalty shots. And if there's a borderline play between penalty or penalty shot, which direction would the NHL's GMs rather see officials err on? Would they like to see more penalty shots or more penalties? And... I said, in response to that, just chit-chatting with a GM, and then I brought it to a few other people. I said, well, what happens if you just gave that option to the coach and said, hey, you skate over after a, a close call and you say, I'm thinking about either one. It's your call. The coach gets the opportunity to make the choice. If you're the Oilers and your power play clicks and you're on fire, and it also is probably dependent on situation in the game, you say, I'm going to take the power play. We get a lot of really good looks. We click at 30 or 33% or whatever the number is. And we're going to take that. But if your power play stinks, or depending again on the situation in the game, you say, I'm going to take the penalty shot. Um, I tend to personally lean toward the idea of taking the penalty shot every time because you know you're getting a clean look and Stephen Ellis made a great point on the pod or the show today too saying hey you're also taking out the consequence or potential consequence of a shorthanded opportunity against you don't there's no guarantee on a power play you get a clean look so I would take the penalty shot and it also depends on who's shooting like if it's I don't know, pick a guy from the Oilers, Derek Ryan that was fouled and you're like, hey, this guy needs to take the penalty shot. No, you're probably choosing power play. But my point is, let's increase the drama. Let's increase the ability to second guess and have fun with it the day after. And let's give the coaches the idea and an option to choose.
0: I, I love it. I think about like even the strategy of, let's say you're down two goals with six minutes to go. And one of these situation comes up okay, well, you take the penalty shot because let's get one without any more time going off the clock, and then it's a one-goal game with six minutes left. I love the idea of Connor McDavid down by one in the third period, three minutes left. He gets fouled, and it's like, okay, let's give him the penalty shot. That's probably a pretty good chance of McDavid scoring. There's a ton, like, just adding more drama to the game, I think, would be exciting. And for us, too, yeah, can you imagine, like, late in the season, big game, the Avs have a chance to, like, give McKinnon the penalty shot? They go, no, no, power play. And they miss, that would dominate the headlines the next day. I think it'd be fantastic.
3: Yeah, but knowing the NHL, and I, I doubt they even listened to me or, or would entertain it, because of that exact second guess opportunity that they would probably lean against it.
0: Lame. That is lame. All right. Uh, Frank, appreciate the insight as always, man. This was really good. And we'll chat again next week.
3: I'm frolicking away.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's frolic our way to today's wrap. Uh, big thanks to Frank for joining us. If you want more Saravali insights, Daily Face Off live every single day on the Daily Face Off YouTube. You can find Daily Faceoff Off on YouTube. Do me a favor, hit the subscribe button. Ten o'clock Mountain Time, thirty minute show runs through a bunch of topics. It's a really, really good show. I'm there every day as well. Daily Face Off on YouTube. Go give it a watch. Uh, let's catch up on what the chat is talking about. A lot of you want to want to hit on Yesa Puliary. And I saw the tweet that kind of went like Euler's Twitter viral yesterday about how, you know, he's had this long extended look on the top line with McDavid, he's got one assist. My counter argument to complaining about Poole production in that spot is who is producing right now for this team at five on five? Because the list is pretty slim. And maybe that's like a unfair chicken in the egg kind of discussion here. But since the start of the road trip, it's now been five games, if you count last night as well. The Oilers have scored six five-on-five goals. They aren't getting a lot of production at five-on-five. It's not like Nuge has four goals and Connor scored three times and Pugliarvi's just the dead weight. Or it's not like the second line is humming along at this unreal clip. Although Fogel had a nice goal against Florida, I know. But it's not like everyone else is humming and Pugliarvi's dead weight. No one's really moving that well at five-on-five right now. So I don't know if I really love the idea of calling up Pugliarvi. I actually thought last night was his best game on that line. So, I don't know. He he looked impactful to me. A lot of you talking about Clem Shady, Klim Koston, how good he looked. The numbers back it up. I, I Again, yesterday, another example of me being wrong, Jay was pretty excited about the idea of Yanmark and Coston and seeing what they could do. I called them AHLers. They kind of showed last night that maybe they have a chance to be productive for this team. Again, digging into the on-ice numbers here. The two players, the best shots for percentages at five on five were Yanmark and Costin last night. When Yanmark was on the ice, 11 five on five minutes, that's a lot of hockey for him to play as well. Oilers outshot him nine to five. When Costin was on the ice, Oilers outshot him seven to four. Those two actually made some good stuff happen when they were out there. So I, I think that third line maybe actually has some potential. And I love the jam that Kostin plays with as well. Like he's a big body. Yanmark moves well too, but Kostin's a big body. He has some decent hands. I don't know. We we might have an interesting little bottom six player on our hands here. And I think, you know, it's only been a month. You never know how these things go in the long run. But I think that was actually a pretty smart little move by Ken Holland, flipping Dmitry Samurakov, who, when you look at where he was on the depth chart, he was buried down there. You were never going to play him above Broberg or Nima Lyonan or Ryan Murray. So a, a smart little play um, by by Holland to flip Samurakov for Klim Kostin. I like that duo. I think there's some potential. Okay, we need to have the Evan Bouchard conversation. Because yesterday, there were some concerning elements of his game. He struggled to get pucks through. In the first period alone, I think he had four shots get blocked. I'm pulling up the individuals from last night. So, Corsi 4, individual Corsi 4, is how many times a player or a team directs a puck towards the net it can get blocked, it can go wide, it can hit the post, it can go in and get stopped by the goalie. Any one of those five outcomes, if the player does it, it's a Corsi 4 event. Bouchard had 13 of those, so 13 attempted shots. He only ended the game with three shots on goal. So out of his 13 attempts, only three of them got through. Some of them missed the net. There was at least two I remember that missed the net. One of them was early on in the first period. And a bunch of them got blocked. And that's led to a whole thing on Twitter, Bouchard's this problem. Can't get pucks through. Every, he's, always, he's shin pad assassin 2.0. One of the best nicknames Jason Greger's ever come up with. It was for Andre Sekera, shin pad assassin. And everyone's calling Bouchard shin pad assassin 2.0. I don't get it. And people are jumping on this guy. And he's 22 years old. We've done this how many times over, let's not even do 10 years. Let's do 20 years in this organization. Tom Pody, before my time, did it with him. Justin Schultz can't play too soft, will never win. Stanley Cup teams don't have Justin Schultz on their blue line. You trade him to Pittsburgh for magic beans. He goes and gets two rings. He's still in the NHL right now. Did the same thing with Jeff Petrie. He's soft. He'll never be able to defend at the NHL level. Can't think quick enough, blah, 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 blah. Ends up being one of the better defensemen in the NHL, a legit top two, top pairing kind of guy for what now? Almost a decade, I think. And you gave him away for more magic beans. So everyone here is sitting going, oh, you, you throw in, you move Bouchard. He's part of the problem on the blue line. Blah 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 blah. He's he's 22. If you want good homegrown defensemen, you need to live through the growing pains that come along with that. And last year, I think he had a really good year with Duncan Keith. This year, he's maybe taken a step back in the first month and a bit of the season. But one of the lines that Low Tide love to use is that development is never a straight line. It doesn't always just go like this, and you go from first-round draft pick to third-pairing D-man to second-pairing D-man to superstar, boom, done. It never works like that. And this is Bouchard. You know, last year he went like that. Maybe now he's just going like that a little bit. But that doesn't mean he's not going to go like this and bounce right back up. That can happen. I think it will happen. And anyone who's saying, and I like McKay, Bouchard should not be moved. I don't know who's saying that. A lot of people are saying that. And a lot of people are mad about the whole block shot thing. So I went and I dug into the numbers. Bouchard this season, amongst defensemen who have played at least 205 on 5 minutes, and there's 145 of them, okay? So you can do the math, divide that by 30. I'm not confident enough in my abilities to do that on the fly. But that is a good chunk of the everyday defensemen in the NHL. Evan Bouchard's shots four per 60. Eighth out of those 145 defensemen. His Corsi four per 60. Seventh, now there's Corsi and then there's Fenwick. And I know a bunch of you are gonna roll your eyes and be like, shut up, no one cares about analytics. Yep, fine. But the reason I'm bringing up these two specific numbers, Corsi is all the shot attempts. Fenwick is all the shot attempts, but it doesn't count blocked shots. So what you can do in this is take his Corsi, minus his Fenwick, and what you get is how many blocked shots there are per 60. The gap for Evan Bouchard is 6.34. So for every 60 minutes he's on the ice at five on five, he gets 7.47 shots on net, 6.34 blocked shots. Instances where players get in front of him. And you're probably, you might, I mean, with no context, you could be like, hey, that's not good. So I went and I compared it to the other players in the NHL who shoot the puck a lot. Brent Burns, best player in the or best defenseman in the NHL at getting shots through. You know how many block shots he has per 60? 6.67. I'm doing a lot of math on the fly here, but that number is higher than Evan Bouchard's. Brent Burns, best defenseman at getting shots through, has more shots blocked per 60 than Evan Bouchard. Dougie Hamilton would be the next guy on that list. His number, 6.10, right there with Evan Bouchard. Jacob Truba is actually very good at it. I will give him that. His number is more like 4.5. Rasmus Dahlin having a great season. His number's very good as well. But there are a lot of guys. Eric Carlson's number, worse than Evan Bouchard's. Roman Yossi's number is almost eight. It's like 7.8. Evan Bouchard, yes. Is he having some shots that are getting blocked in the last couple games? Sure. But to blanket say this guy can't get pucks through is false. He's one of the best defensemen in the entire NHL at getting pucks through. Does he have a lot that are blocked? Sure. But similar to the, the, the blanket stat of giveaways for forwards, when you go look at who gives away the puck the most amongst forwards in the NHL, it's usually a lot of really good players because they have the puck on their stick a lot. So if you're Evan Bouchard and you're attempting more shots than anyone on the Oilers' blue line, and he is, if you compare his individual Corsi 4 per 60 to every other Oilers' D-man, he's at 15.62. That's 3.3 attempts more than Darnell Nurse on a per 60 basis. LA, as QF Pro says, had 30 block shots in that game. They did a great job of getting in the lanes. But the blanket statement of Bouchard can't get get pucks through is false. It's flat out false. Brent says the NHL is not a development league. If Bouchard is not ready, he needs to be sent back down. But he is ready. This is the stage we're at in Evan Bouchard's development. There's going to be rough patches because the guy is 22 years old. That'll happen. You need to live with it because in the long run, you're going to be better off for it. What they shouldn't do is what they did with Darnell Nurse, is sit there and look at an unfinished product and go bridge deal, bridge deal. Oh, shit, we need to buy eight UFA years, and it costs us a ton of money. Then everyone complains that he's overpaid. Lock this guy up now. Start talking contract extension with Evan Bouchard yesterday and say, hey, yeah, you're fighting it a little bit right now, but we want to give you seven years by five million and get a bargain like you did with Oscar Clefbaum, because that's the potential I see in Bouchard. He is more than capable of being Oscar Klefbaum 2.0. The concerns with him, I mentioned those 145 defensemen who have played over 205 on five minutes. He's fourth in giveaways. He's got to be better with the puck in his own end, 100%. No one can argue that. That's a fact. The giveaways need to be curbed a little bit with Evan Bouchard. But again, look at what he's being asked to do. Handle legitimate, consistent top four minutes on a, team that's has Stanley Cup aspirations. He's got to go up against top-flight NHLers on a nightly basis, and that's a tough thing to ask a young defenseman to do. Uh, Liam, I want to get your take on this, because I've basically just been rambling and spewing numbers now for like 10 minutes on this topic. Um, but like the giveaways, yes, it's a concern. There's a lot of players on this Oilers team who aren't playing well right now, and you could say Evan Bouchard's having his struggles. I get it there's a ton of potential with this guy and I feel like sometimes people just get a little bit too in the moment focused and then they latch on to certain things like the block shots
2: yeah I I like what you said about the trajectory of a prospect like it's not just going to be a straight line if that was the thing that Lotei said right like you gotta you gotta take what you get with him I, I think everyone knows defensively he's not amazing but I think he's got a lot better this season too in some aspects one thing I would actually like to see Bouchard get better at is playing with maybe like a little bit more urgency in some parts of his game. I think that would actually help him a lot. Yeah, both ends of the ice. Sometimes he's a bit too relaxed, but I'm not too worried about the shots because he's actually like trying to create something and those numbers you said there are like back it up greatly. Like to send him down just it simply doesn't make any sense at all. Like he would absolutely light up the AHL. He is yeah. an NHL defenseman, arguably the best offensive defenseman on this team, so you'd miss a big element there. I think he's just he's just a hitting, a, hitting a bump in the road. And this, this team as a whole is right now. Defensively, the Oilers are not a yep. great hockey team. Once they turn that around and figure it out, which they will this season, Bouchard's numbers will also get better.
0: Yeah, uh, just, I felt like that was, maybe, maybe I'm being a little too negative right now. So I want to get positive here and I want to give some love to a defenseman. I mean, we talked about the Oilers not, you, know, you said, you know, Oilers not great defensively. Yeah, their blue line is struggling. That is correct. 100%. Cody Ceci has some tremendous numbers. So, again, we're going giveaways per 60 here. Bouchard, 3.85. Nurse, 3.23. Both those numbers need to come down. If you're a high-event hockey player, you can be in sort of the mid to high twos, I think. But as soon as you're in the threes, that's not good enough. Brett Kulak down at 1.2. For a defensive defenseman, not a great puck mover. I'm okay with that. Tyson Barry being at a 1 is great. Cody CC's all the way down at .43. So again, per 60 minutes. So if Cody CeCe averages 25 on 5 minutes a hockey game, that means he is only committing one giveaway every six-ish games. Right? 246, 246, .43, double it. So for every basically six games of Cody CeCe, he's giving away .86 pucks. Not even a full giveaway. That's crazy. Cody CC is one of the signings. I may be the, that might be my most incorrect take ever. Cause I was pissed when they signed the guy. I think a lot of people who watched him in other markets, Alex would have had a front row seat to a young Cody CC in Ottawa. He's smiling and shaking his head disaster in Toronto. He was terrible. Pittsburgh. He got better. The Oilers give him four years and it's like, what the hell are you doing? We need good defensive defensemen, not just high event chaos. And then Cody Ceci comes here and he's magically like this consistent, remarkable defenseman.
2: Doesn't that just back up your Bouchard point even more? You know, defenseman isn't yeah, good to start his career, finally figures it out, becomes this great defenseman in the NHL like Cody Ceci has become. Maybe not great. Very, very good defenseman. Just let Evan Bouchard play it out. It is. I agree. This team right now is it's frustrating on nights to watch them because you can just see the potential there and then stuff happens. Oh, yeah. how are we losing this game again at home? But everything, I think everything's going to be okay with Bouchard and the Oilers as a whole. So let's chill out a little bit. Let's just blame Edler for everything at the moment and then we'll be fine.
0: Uh, Russell asks, when is Yamamoto coming back? He's expected to make the road trip. Jackson said that in the chat as well. Actually, Yeah, expected to make the road trip, not expected to play Saturday. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if at some point next week, Holloway is down. Devin Shore might be down too. Like, he had a brutal giveaway, then crashed into Skinner yesterday, and he's been making... I know he's your boy, Liam, so I'm sorry. He's been (laughs) making some rough plays. Like, I think if you had to pick... Let's say Benson and Yamo are healthy for the trip, and I think they both should be. Holloway probably goes down. I think we'd agree on that, right?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd be number one.
0: So that means one of... Costin, Yanmark, or Shore needs to go down as well. Who would you send down?
2: Shore. I think yeah. it's a, quite an easy play. So actually, I caught part of this game last night on the radio when I was driving driving around. And the names that kept coming up outside of the top line of McDavid, Drysdale, and Hyman were Yanmark and Costin, It felt like Consistently. every every time it was those two guys outside of the big guns who were like, like contributing to this team. So if they're, they're earning spots on this team right now, and Devin Shore is not, and I think that's fine. Like, this is what Devin Shore is. He's the guy who needs to be sent back and forth. He's kind of a yeah. sacrificial goat or whatever you want to call him. Like, he's the guy. <laughs> he's His a money tweener, right? Like,
0: he can come up and give you that's decent minutes, but, like, you're not clutching your pearls if, if you got to put Devin Shore on waivers. Looking right now, the Oilers have 22 players on their roster. Is that including Yamo? I see, and that's including Yamo. So actually, you don't have to send anyone down. I think you have the cap space to make this thing work. You would activate Benson. That's another 750k. Yeah, actually, you don't need to send anyone down. You could just swap Holloway and Benson if you wanted to. And then you would have an extra forward. Oh my god, the Oilers would they would have to healthy scratch a forward for a game. <laughs> so you could keep everyone. I think
2: the debate is going to be in a couple of months when Kane actually comes back. How and do you keep Yann in the lineup? How do you keep Yanmark? How do you keep Kostin in the lineup? Like, what if at this point, hypothetically, the real Clem Shady is on the first line with McDavid? Because he's skates well. he's He brings that physical element. He looks like he can score a goal or two or contribute at least. Isn't that what they want from Paul Javi? Like, what if Clem Kostin... I'm going to say it. What if Clem Kostin is the answer?
0: Folks, we have our first answer of the year. <laughs> Is Klim Costin the answer? You gotta ask the question. You gotta ask the question. Think of the
2: t-shirts. Think of the t-shirts, people. Let's make Klim the answer. <laughs>
0: I, uh, I wish I had like my little road cat. I would have hit the air horn like the.
1: <laughs> could Klim Costin be. be the answer? He
0: could be. He could be. He could be.
3: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
0: all right uh let's get into our daily bets for today brought to you by our friends at uh betway 19 plus please play responsibly liam what do you got lined up here because i'm sure like everyone in the chat or like us people in the chat lost some coin last night on the old oily boys
2: Yep, I did not hit either of my bets last night on the old Oily Boys. So tonight, I'm trying to go with a couple of safer picks. David Pasternak, over four and a half shots, minus 143. Seems high, but he's hit this in two of three. He hits this very often. And he played Philly tonight. I think Boston could do very, very well. Obviously, they're one of the best teams in the NHL. Flipping to one of the other best teams in the NHL, the New Jersey Devils, who people were really doubting when they came into Edmonton. Now look at them. They're in Toronto. Jack Hughes is hitting his shop up very consistently, too. It's over 3.5 minus 125. So, hoping these two, like uh, a couple of safer picks tonight.
0: I like uh, I like that Hughes one. I always get nervous betting on a guy at over 4.5. Because like, no matter who you are, you have to have a good game to rip off five shots on net. Um, but Pasternak, yeah. like you said, he does it. So, I, I like the Hughes bet, though. You know who my favorite shop prop is tonight?
2: Yeah, the Carolina Hurricanes playing. Yes, is it Negas? <laughs> Negas yeah. or both? Marty Natchas shot two. prop.
0: Let's ride. I love, I love a good chance to bet the Marty Natchas shot prop. We are absolutely hitting that tonight. I'm also taking the Lightning to beat the Flames, the Rangers to beat the Kraken, and the Breadman, Artemi Panarin, to pick up an assist. So those are our plays for today. We'll, uh, we'll chat about that all tomorrow. The, um, uh, no game day tomorrow, but Bag I milk's would... gonna stop by as well.
2: I got oh, a quick thing, Ty. Our producer yeah. Alex texted us actually and said, Would Clem Costin have stepped up for Connor? I think he would have. He has an NHL fight on his plate already. A lot Who'd to consider fight? there. Uh I can't remember, but if you Google Clem Costin there's a picture of him punching somebody in the face. So it definitely happened once upon a time in St. Louis. But he hasn't. <laughs> I, I,
0: I thought like maybe you had his hockey fights card up and you were like yeah you just saw a picture of him punching a guy once
2: well when you make graphics you have to google these names and i googled clem Costin once and yeah there was a picture of him fighting i'll see if i can pull it up at some point it's here. uh yeah, so he, he definitely has two career
0: fights in the nhl oh he sorry one preseason tilt one regular season tilt yes there he is and he's punching there an islander is. you know who that islander is
2: scott mayfield
0: Correct. It is Scott Mayfield. That is his one NHL fight. Good work. Uh, QF Pro, Costin, Nuge, McDavid, line one. Great picture. There you go, everybody. Everybody can see the proof that Clem Costin once fought Scott Mayfield. Uh, McKay says, Clem is him. I'm him. I like that. Clem is him. Put it on a shirt. Jackson says, just start calling him him, Costin. I love that. That actually might be just as good as uh, Clem Shady.
2: Yep, yep. There's uh, there's a lot All of right. potential there with Klim on and off the ice.
0: Okay, we're, uh, we're going to wrap this thing <laughs> up here. Shout out to our friends at the Sports Closet. Team Canada World Cup gear. They are going to have some gear right away with the Oilers reverse retro logo. So if you're doing your Christmas shopping and you got an Oilers fan, I saw it yesterday. There was a cool vintage sweater at the game. I'm hoping Sports Closet gets that one in because that looked really sharp. Uh, yeah, Canada World Cup gear reverse retro Oilers gear, all of that stuff available, sportscloset.ca. Can't get out to the shirt Park Mall, St. Albert Mall, or Kingsway Mall? Head online, sportscloset.ca. They do ship to you. They also give out gift cards. So if you have someone that's maybe a little bit pickier that you got to buy for you, just go get them a sports closet gift card. Uh, tomorrow is not a short for Giant Game Day, like I said. That next one won't come until Saturday, but we'll be live for that as well. Tomorrow, it is bag milk, and it is you in the YouTube chat as well. Look forward to that. Enjoy your Thursday. Maybe get your Christmas lights up today. I think that's, that's what I'm going to do. Regardless, shout out to Frank Saravalli, Shout out to Alex Allard as well. We'll chat again tomorrow, Oilers fans.